Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning. Can you guys do me a favor and everybody just turn to your neighbor and smile? I normally don't do these turn to your neighbor things, but seriously, we are at a church service. Nobody has died. So let's just kind of turn to our neighbor and remind each other Jesus is risen and it's good to be here at church. I don't know whose child that was that shouted out Song of Solomon, but... um. Probably those are not the best songs for children in that book. But I, that, that kind of little comment just makes me smile in my heart and realize how great Seeds is. Um, if you're new to our church, my name is Dave, and it's my privilege to serve as lead pastor here at church. And um, we've been working our way through a series on the subject of prayer. And I don't know about you, but before I jumped into this series... I would not have said that prayer was a very strong part of my faith journey. That though I loved God, I served God, I wouldn't have boasted that prayer is one of the stronger elements of the way I relate to God. But I will tell you that preparing this series uh, has really left a dent in my own heart. I found that my understanding and appreciation of prayer has really grown, and I found that it has actually made a difference in the way I pray. And so I, and I've heard from a number of you some encouraging feedback that the series has had a similarly positive effect on you. I hope that it has. And uh, we're not out of the, the series yet. We still have more messages yet to go. I won't be satisfied if we end up with a better understanding of prayer alone. What I really hope for us is that somewhere along the course of this series, The Holy Spirit of God will grab hold of each of us and shake us until we realize prayer is not just a chore. It is like breathing to those who are saved. And that when we start to really pray, our connection with God is radically changed. And some of the things that have felt dead inside come to life. And a lot of those questions about what it is we do here on Sundays as some of us feel like strangers on the outside looking in, watching all of this, and trying to figure out why we haven't felt any of the things that the other people's faces seem to exhibit. Why don't I feel the excitement, the tenderness, the intimacy with God that seems evident on the faces of others? I believe when we begin to really cry out to God in prayer, something in us changes. And I want to challenge you, if you've been a Christian a long time and have never really learned to pray, Please open your hearts during this series and take a step of faith. Each message that comes, consider how it might impact the way you actually commune with God through prayer. I've enjoyed this series, the the preparation of it so far, but i got to tell you, you can't talk long on the topic of prayer without eventually addressing the big gorilla in the room, which is what? That topic of unanswered prayer. Because sometimes we preach on prayer as though if we do it right, God just answers everything we ask for and he just gives it to us. But the truth is, that just isn't the way it works. Against the backdrop of this call to pray to God consistently and faithfully, we got to wrestle with the fact that sometimes 
we pray earnestly from the bottom of our hearts over the course of many years for the same one thing, and that one thing does not ever seem to happen in our lives. I'm reminded of my friend who's a pastor out east who testified that he prayed every day for one hour. Think about this. Every day for one hour for the salvation of his parents. He did it for 20 years and never saw them come close to acknowledging God. And he said, in honesty, that above everything else in my experience rattled and shook my faith in God. Because how is it possible that I could be praying for something so in line with what God wants, and yet he tarries, he does not give me what I ask for? And it began to raise a lot of questions, as unanswered prayer always does. It raises a lot of questions in us about what God is like. And what that says about us and how he feels about us. Or maybe it raises a question, how long do I knock on heaven's door without getting an answer before I assume nobody's home and I go away? I want to read this passage for you. There we go. This thing on. Okay. By the way, don't think of the journey song. Although I have to say, during the whole writing of this message, that song was in my head like a virus. Here's the passage. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? You know, we already established that the problem of unanswered prayer causes a lot of tension for those of us who are Christians. Because we pray and we pray faithfully and we pray for good things and yet they don't come to pass. And we begin to ask a lot of very uncomfortable questions about what all of this means. It's a bit of a silly example, but comedian Aziz Ansari, any of you guys familiar with him? He not only does comedy and TV and movies, but he wrote a book called Modern Romance. And in this book, he tells, us, he tells a lot of stories about what dating is like if you're a young adult in America today. And it was an eye-opener for me to read. I thank the Lord Jesus Christ that I'm not young and single today, All of you are young and single. It's so challenging today to figure all of this out. The rule and the etiquette was so much simpler back when I was single. 
And he talks about how with the, the arrival of technology, there's all this etiquette and layers of complexity regarding the way you contact each other. And he was telling the story of a girl named Tanya that he had a great first date with, and he played it cool, waited a couple days, and then texted her to ask her out to another concert, something that a band that they had both talked about and enjoyed was coming to town. So he texts her, and he fires it off. It's kind of a really cool, mellow, sort of kind of direct, but kind of not direct text. And then he sees this. And that's always a promising sign. The minute you send it, this tells you the other person read it, and they're tick, 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 tick. So they're typing. But he said, after a couple seconds, the bubbles went away, which means they were starting to say something, and they changed their mind. Now, for several days afterwards, he agonized over trying to interpret what that bubble disappearing could mean. It certainly couldn't mean that she didn't get the text because she for sure saw it and had even started to respond. And so after days of tortured confusion, he ended up paralyzed, unwilling to make another move, reach out again to her. And so instead, on the night of the concert, he chose not to go to the concert, but he went to a comedy club, which I guess is therapy for comics, and he performed a show impromptu And he shared with them the story of this date. And here's what he says about it. I could tell that every guy and girl in the audience had had their own Tanya in their phone at one point or another. Each with their own individual problems and dilemmas. We each sit alone staring at this black screen with a whole range of emotions. But in a strange way, we are all doing it together. And we should take solace in the fact that no one has a clue what's going on. I thought how, how aptly those same words could describe the way the church feels when we wrestle with the tension that we pray and we pray earnestly and we pray over long periods for good things and God does not respond to the text. And we're confused and we're not sure what's going on. I, you know, I would love to spell out all the possible permutations of what this could mean and how we can interpret it. But I want to really zero in on the heart of this parable. Because unanswered prayer can have such a draining effect on our faith. We begin to wonder, does God feel good about me? Is the problem that I have prayed well, but he just doesn't like me? Or we begin to ask, maybe it's what I'm praying for that's really off. Maybe I've got a wrong nuance. Maybe I'm praying the wrong way about it. And if we let that keep going the doubts start to intensify to the point that we can start asking questions about the trustworthiness and the goodness and even the character of God. Maybe we start to wonder, maybe it's nothing wrong with my prayers or me. Maybe God isn't as nice a guy as I once supposed he was. And then we can even start to wonder, does prayer change anything at all? What are we doing when we close our eyes? Is it just wishful thinking? Is it just meditation? If left long enough, it's not long before you start to wonder somewhere deep in the recesses of your heart, is any of this real? Is God real? Am I just in a religion I was raised in, programmed to believe in something? Does God even really exist? I think waiting on God poses a great challenge to the human heart. 
And it's understandable that when we pray and God doesn't answer, we're left with a lot of these very uncomfortable questions. Now, I'm uncomfortable even raising them because maybe you have, you have spiritual tension, but you didn't even know how to put words to it. I just gave you the words to describe your spiritual lostness. But it's, it's important to face it honestly. When we have unanswered prayer, it causes our faith to be shaken. It's important to know that this text, Luke 18, 1 through 8, occurs in the middle of a section of teaching where Jesus is telling his disciples what the end times will be like. He's describing and talking about the promise that one day he will bring an end to human history. He will return and seal everything. It will be finished once and for all, and a new era of time will begin. And in the middle of teaching about this, he takes an excursus here, and on a side road, he starts this teaching about prayer and about persevering prayer. And I think the two are related. Because unanswered prayer represents on a smaller personal scale what the delayed return of Jesus represents to all of us on a much larger scale. Jesus said he would come back one day and even the score that everyone would give an account to him. That all of us who staked everything to follow him would be vindicated when on that day the sky splits open and Jesus descends from heaven and we all say, see, we bet on the right horse. We backed the right one. We trusted him as Savior. And all the while, if you're an honest thinking Christian, somewhere in the back of your mind has to be this lingering thought, what if? What if none of it's true? What if it was all a story? So one day when Jesus comes back, it will be like the final word of the story. The end. I was right. Ha ha. It's all true. And I'm yearning for that day. That's why as I get older, the songs we sing about the return of Christ always make me want to cry. I cannot wait for that day when everything I've staked my life on is vindicated and proven to be true. And I realize once and for all that my my faith in Jesus was not a misplaced faith. But if you're really honest, you live with that other doubt lingering somewhere in your subconscious all the days of your life. That's why the return of Jesus matters so supremely. Because on that day, all doubt will be erased. All questions will be settled. And so as we learn to wait patiently for the day when our faith is justified, the same dynamics apply when we're waiting for God to respond to our prayers that go unanswered. And Jesus then tells them a story And he explicitly says, the purpose of this next story, guys, just in case you missed it, is this. I want you to know you are always supposed to pray and never give up. It may seem foolish, even cruel for Jesus to respond to our doubts when unanswered prayers come by telling us the answer to your doubts is to keep on praying and never give up. That may seem cruel. It's like when you ask a girl out for a date and she keeps saying no and you're like, forget it. Then she goes, no, no, don't stop asking. You're like, that's just cruel. Why do you keep asking me to ask you when your answer is constantly no? It may seem cruel until you read the parable and understand what it is that Jesus is really trying to reveal to us. I won't dwell very long on the story itself. It's a very simple story, but I want to try to strike at the heart of what it means. The story sets up around a very familiar scenario in Jesus' day. There were judges who operated in the religious realm, but there were also civic judges. 
And some of these judges were not religious men at all. They weren't people of faith. They had no conscience whatsoever. And it was a very common thing that if you were powerless in society, these judges could enrich themselves through corruption. They had no interest in carrying out justice. They only had an interest in having their own power preserved and enriching themselves while they were in office. So here's the story of a widow who is powerless without an advocate, and she has an adversary that's tormenting her, and she's seeking some legal protection. So she goes to the judge and cries out for justice, which is already a Hail Mary pass, because this woman in Jewish society has, is about at the lowest end of the, the, the totem pole. She has no power. When she goes to the judge, she can't appeal to any rights. She's just begging and throwing herself at the mercy of this judge. And what it says, and this, this is very strong language, this man neither feared God nor cared what people thought. In other words, the two things you could appeal to, to try to get a little fairness and compassion, was missing in this man. I don't know if you've ever needed a special favor from the dean of your college or something, or a boss, you needed a, a, you know, you're like, I really need these vacation days. And so you're about to go and look at your boss, and you walk into his office, and you're hoping for a smiling, inviting face. Instead, you get, I'm busy, what do you need? And you're like, forget it. And you walk out, because just the face alone tells you, you're going to get nowhere. The door is shut to you. You can't appeal to, for the love of God, I don't love God. Next. Well, people are going to think you're mean. I don't care what people think. Next. And so this woman walks into a judge who in this, in the original Greek, is very strong language to describe somebody who has no outside forces on his heart. He answers only to himself. He doesn't care what you need or what you think or what you hold over him. He will do only what he wants to do. So this is the kind of man from whom you could expect no mercy, no justice. And yet this widow boldly goes and she asks him, and as the story goes, you might expect... He rejects her over and over and over. Sorry, your case is no good. Leave. I don't have time for this. And this woman, because she really has no other choice, goes back day after day after day with the same plea. And eventually, like Bruce Lee says about be the wata, you know, like she just wears this man down. And listen to his testimony. I don't care about God. I certainly don't care about people. But darn it, this woman. So, some of us know what that feels like. No, I'm not, I'm not talking about. When somebody, I'm not talking about my wife, evil people, just wears away at you. Can I get this? Can I get this? Can I get this? Can I get this? And after a while, you're like, fine. Get diabetes. Eat your candy. I don't care. (laughs) And after a while, this constant nagging just eats away at you until the point that you can't even think about why you said no. You just want to get this human being out of your life. And she just through sheer relentless perseverance extracts justice from this very hard judge. Now, it would be easy to presume that the proper interpretation of this whole parable is this. God is way too busy to be troubled by your little drama. He's running a whole universe. You think he really cares that you get all the green lights on the way to work because you woke up too late for your meeting? 
Why are you bothering with that? Lord, please let this light turn. Please, please let the light turn green. And maybe you could interpret this parable as, what a stupid prayer. You think God has time for that? But, though God is too busy and too high above us, if you really want something and you knock on that door hard enough, long enough, prove to him you're serious and and desperate, maybe, just maybe, you will turn God's ear and he will finally be like, oh my gosh, you you are persistent. Here, you can have a green light. And maybe, just maybe, if you don't stop praying the whole drive in, you might make it to your meeting on time. And that's the way I used to think this parable was to be interpreted. I was deeply ashamed when I looked back at my early youth group sermon notes and realized I taught a generation of students that that's how it worked. Someday in heaven, I'm going to have to stand before God and explain that one. That is not the point of the message at all. In fact, the point of the the parable is exactly the opposite of that. He uses this cruel, unjust judge as an example of the opposite of what God is like to prove to us the folly of giving up in prayer. See, what he says is, the point of praying persistently is that God is nothing like this judge. He's exactly the opposite. Consider that this unbelieving widow is like an unbeliever with no heavenly father, no God to advocate for them, no one to appeal to, and this unbeliever faces a cold and unflinching universe and says, I still need things. I'm going to hope. I'm going to continue to press in. I'm going to try to make a place for myself in this brutal, unfeeling world. And all over this planet, there are unbelievers with no God behind them, staring at fate, at a cold, dark universe, at evolution, at random chance, and yet they have the audacity to hope. I've seen unbelievers who get rejection after rejection after rejection, and yet they have the audacity to keep pressing in and believing, and sooner or later, by hook or by crook, one way or the other, They make a place for themselves in this world. And God says, if even a person without any power, any advocate, can squeeze out a life from this cold, unflinching universe, how much more should we who are God's chosen ones, his beloved sons and daughters, elected out of love, chosen, adopted by him, picked by hand, how much more should we expect that when we keep praying to a God who loves us, we will fare far better than the unbelievers shouting at the universe, give me a break. If an atheist can dare to hope for something in this life, how much more should those of us who have been chosen by God dare to hope and not give up? It's okay to ask questions when God doesn't answer your prayer. You can ask things like, God, why are you so slow in giving me this? God, what am I supposed to learn while I wait? God, what am I supposed to change about the way I'm thinking about this? What attitude adjustment do I need? What change of perspective? It's okay to ask all kinds of these questions, but the one thing we cannot ask is, God, are you good? And the reason we cannot ask that is because the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did for us establishes once and for all beyond any debate the goodness of God for us. 
It establishes at a great price that God loves us and he has nothing left to prove after the cross about his love for us. If you can look at Jesus hanging on a cross and look God in the face and question, do you really love me? You have missed the whole message of the cross. Do you understand that? You can ask a lot of questions when God is slow to answer. But the one question you cannot rightly ask is, God, do you love me? Are you good to me? Do you care about me? Because at the cross of Jesus, he answered that question resoundingly. And so he says to us, when you're in anguish and your faith is shaken because I don't answer you quickly, don't for a minute go down that bad road and start questioning whether I love you. That is the one unassailable truth about me towards you, is that I love you. I've proven it. I have nothing left to prove about that. And so when you're in doubt, ask questions, but don't ask that question, because that question can lead to spiritual death. Ask the other questions, because I will answer those. I will tell you why I'm waiting. I will show you what you're meant to learn. I will build in you a deeper character, a tougher skin, a greater faith. But don't doubt my love for you. Because you are to me, God says, my beloved, I chose you. I found you lost in this world, and I adopted you because I loved you. Do you understand that Jesus does not give us the story to put the emphasis on perseverance? He's not saying to us, pray really hard and don't give up. That's the key. But he says, your God chose you. He loves you. He is for you. You may question his methods. You may question his timing, but you can never question his love for you. He loves you so much that is beyond doubt. And even though you are questioning why, Lord, How long? Why this way? You can rest in this one certain thing in the midst of your uncertainty. I know this, though I cannot understand his ways, I can always trust his heart. And because I can always trust his heart, I won't give up praying. The perseverance is not the goal, it's the result of seeing what kind of God we pray to. Because the easiest way to kill your prayer life is for the answer to be delayed and for you to think that means God doesn't care. That his silence means he's indifferent to you. That he's not interested in you. That what you're asking is the wrong thing. I started by sharing with you about my friend who's a pastor praying every day, an hour. Now, I don't know about you, but if I prayed an hour every day for 20 years for the salvation of my parents, there's sort of a fine print in parentheses that, Lord, I better be the one to lead him to Christ. I mean, I've, been, I've got a lot of skin in this game. I want them to say to me, son, you've been such a faithful pastor. We've been watching you for 20 years, and you really wore us away. You broke our hearts. I, we respect you so much. We're going to follow your Jesus too. And the hallelujah chorus plays in the background, and your faith is restored. But here's what he said. One day, completely oblivious to anything I've said, they they were invited to a revival meeting by some friends. They grudgingly went, and they got saved, and they came back and said to me, you'll never guess what happened. We found the Lord. <laughs> we found him. Yeah. 
No, you didn't find him. And there was kind of a, a, a mixed feeling there because he really wanted to be part of that story. But what he realized was, during those 20 years, it was God's grace that he never stopped praying. And in the 21st year, God said, do you see that faith placed in me is never misplaced faith? I heard a story one time in a sermon about a man who died and went to heaven, and he found file cabinets overflowing with index cards. And he asked God, what, what is all of this? It says on the door, prayer room. And what are all these things? He said, oh, those are all the prayers that I would have answered if people didn't stop praying. Now, that's just a made-up story, but I, it, that haunted me because I wondered how often we disconnect from God prematurely. And he says, man, if you had not given up your faith in me, I would have built that faith deeper and I would have shown you the full depth of my goodness. If you don't get what you want and you leave God, whom else do you have? What is preferable to waiting patiently in front of God with an empty hand? Is it any better to wait out in the cold, dark universe with a hand just as empty, hoping for fate or luck to give you what you need? And he says to us, you only have one heavenly father. And this father loves you. He is for you. And when he says, come to me and pray and never give up, what he's saying is, I'm not trying not to answer you. But I have my own ways. I have my own timing, and it's perfect. I couldn't even explain it to you if I tried. But the one thing you can be sure of is, I am always for you. I am always with you. If you don't give up, you will see your faith vindicated. I'll close by saying this. Imagine that you, and this is a very irresponsible illustration I understand that already, so don't send me emails. But imagine that you were at a shopping mall, and for some reason in an emergency, you had to leave your small child in a safe place, and you said, stay right here by the Auntie Anne's pretzels. Right in the spot, don't move, stay right here. Mommy or Daddy is going to be right back, just wait for me, don't move. And you went off to look for your other dumb kid who ran off, and in the back of your mind, it's taking longer than you thought, You're thinking, oh, this kid that was left behind is worried. He's wondering, where is mom? Where is dad? And that child is facing a dilemma. Mom or dad said they would be back and to stay right here. But from what I can see, nobody is coming. And so when we're in doubt and we feel anxious, what do we always do? We take matters into our own hands. I can't wait for this bozo anymore. I'm going to go look for my lost mom or dad. And they take off, and you come back huffing and puffing. Where's the kid? Now think about how frustrating that is. See, that child didn't leave because of fear. They left because of doubt. Ultimately, it wasn't because they were nervous. It was because they didn't really believe you when you said something. That what they should have rested on was your promise that mommy or daddy will not leave you and go, just go home and go, hey, didn't we like have more kids? We're never going to do that. You mean more to us than you realize. Even when we're spanking you, we love you with our whole hearts. 
But if you doubt that for a second, you're going to wander off and be lost to me. And I won't know where you've gone. I might not be able to retrieve you from where you've been taken. I've always found this last question at the end of verse 8 so haunting. Jesus asks simply, when I come back, I wonder if I'm going to find any faith on this earth. Because he's really talking about not faith for today, but faith that finishes well. Faith that doesn't quit. It doesn't lose heart. And he asks very openly, this is what it looks like to know your heavenly father. You don't give up because you know he's for you. That no matter how long he takes, you wait because he can be trusted. I know I'm slow in coming back, but I am coming. You must live with me and for me. I will justify your faith. But then he asks, when I come back, I wonder how many of you really will still be there hanging on? When the great day of vindication comes, how many of you will still have faith? You might be wondering why I used a picture of the beach for the slides. It's not just because it was pretty, but I remember a day in Los Angeles when I was with my daughter, Jordan, and uh, it was her first time seeing the ocean. And there's something powerful about being with someone the first time they see something. And I was just sitting on the sand looking at the waves coming in and realizing, my goodness, she's never seen this before. And so when that happens, you kind of see it through new eyes. And what I just kept thinking about was, look at those waves just crashing and crashing one after another relentlessly, the same wave hitting that beach over and over and over. And here was a thought that I had that morning, was that I think that's the way God wants us to pray. I send one prayer, it hits the beach. I send another, it hits the beach. And because God is worthy of this faith, My prayers won't end, ever. I will pray always, and I will not give up, because the God that I pray to, the God that we pray to, is deserving of that kind of faith. And I know it can be hard to keep praying when what you ask never happens. But be certain of this. If it doesn't happen, God has a reason. And the one thing you can be sure of is this. He will not harm you. He will not rob you. He will not withhold his best from you. God is with you. He is for you. Don't give up praying. And I hope that speaks to some of you if you're in that place right now where that really is an important thing to hear. You're tempted to give up, but don't. Because what you yearn for, God is hearing. And it's worth it to pray to him. As the praise team makes their way up, I want to invite you to just bow your heads with me. You know, growing up in the church, whenever it came to prayer, it seemed the only thing I was taught over and over was this focus on my diligence, my intensity. I was taught, pray more, pray harder, pray longer. Don't stop praying. 
And those are not bad messages in and of themselves. But I think what was missing for me was you can't grow a prayer life by thinking about your own character. You can't grow in prayer by resolving to be a better praying person. The way we grow in prayer is that we have a bigger view of who God is that we pray to. The more you understand his heart for you, the richer your prayer life will become. And so I want to shine the light as Jesus did, not on our persevering in prayer, but on the Father heart of God for each of us. When we pray, we pray to our Father. And we pray to someone who loves us very deeply. And so I say to you along with Jesus, whatever it is that you've given up on, whatever it is that you've just decided, all right, I accept it, God. I'll live with this. I won't hope anymore. Don't stop praying. Don't lose heart. Because your God loves you and he's hearing every prayer. Let those prayers hit the gates of heaven like waves hitting the beach. One after the other, don't stop because he is hearing you and he is for you. Why don't we just pray in response to God? You've heard a lot of things this morning. Pray that God will show you his heart. That as you see him, your prayer life will open up. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.